This morning, Andrew Sharp is going to be bringing the word to us from Matthew chapter 5. Uh, I will be reading Matthew 5, verses 2 through 12. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who persecute, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Good morning. It's always a privilege to to uh, fill in for Matt, but I need to, as you probably already gathered, this is not on Revelation. I'm just going to let the sadness sink in a little bit. Um, Matt did say, you know, when he asked me to preach, do you want to, like, cover the things I forgot on Revelation. I'm like, no, no, you nailed it. But anyway, Merry Christmas. I I, I hope you've had a really wonderful Christmas season. I hope it's been a blessed Christmas season. I realize that that's not the same thing as a Merry Christmas. And as Joseph said, that, you know, Christmas can be a really challenging time. You know, a lot of people experience loss throughout the year and then they have to go through the Christmas season differently. Um, A lot of people experience loneliness at Christmas. Um, A friend of mine lost her husband after a long illness. He, He died on Christmas and I grieve for her and also, you know, grieve for her future Christmases because now that's an anniversary. So, and it it can be hard to experience that when the whole world seems to be very celebratory. But being blessed, blessed, I told Joseph I was going to say blessed, not blessed, because it seems very King James, and here I've said it twice. Um, Being blessed, experiencing God's blessing is something that it's within reach of everybody. Now, the, the idea of being blessed can be used very broadly. You might see someone post a picture on social media of maybe a new car, or they post something about a new job, or uh, a picture of a family gathering, and follow it with hashtag blessed. We feel blessed when we feel content with what we have. 
We may even experience sort of a happy bewilderment and wonder why has God chosen to bless us in some way. When we pray that God would bless someone we care about, we're never asking that God allow them to experience mourning or persecution. We're rarely asking that they be merciful, righteous peacemakers. Rather, we might ask God that they be blessed by a loving family or a thriving career or, or good health. The Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is what we uh, just read, doesn't think of blessings in those terms. Jesus does not mention material well-being or domestic happiness as indications of being blessed. In fact, it's really quite the opposite, so we're gonna be talking about that this morning. Several weeks ago, Pastor Matt offered a really apt definition of what it means to be blessed. And he said it's knowing our need and living as a needy person who has been found and freed and forgiven and given peace from the Holy Spirit. In other words, being blessed is peace, rest, and security on a soul level. And that's what Jesus was describing in his Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes collectively describe the with God life in terms of the qualities that reflect those who understand Christ's work in their lives. When we can manage to wrap our minds around the incredible undeserved gift that we've been given by the God of the universe, the God of everything, becoming an infant and then a child, then a teenager, and then an adult whose purpose in, ex in experiencing human existence was to cancel out our sin so that we might experience an intimacy with God that would be impossible otherwise. When we can fathom all that, and that's challenging to fathom all that, it's, it's certainly challenging for me, and it's a continual process. Christmas is an occasion when it helps to grasp that a little bit when we think of Jesus being born. But when we fathom that, our natures are changed. We're born afresh as individuals who are merciful and who are peacemakers and who have the true love and empathy to mourn. When Jesus teaches that those with the qualities he lists are blessed, he's telling us that those people know their need, their spiritual need, and they understand that they have been found by a God who would stop at nothing to draw them to him. And they've been freed from all the guilt and shame that we all experience in a broken world. And they've been forgiven now and forever. It's a pretty incredible thing. 
That's what it means when Jesus tells us that his followers are blessed. Now I want to talk this morning about the first beatitude Jesus mentions, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit seems to describe people who are sad, but that is not what Jesus is talking about. The poor in spirit are those who understand their spiritual need to be rescued by God. They understand that we can't do this for ourselves. For that reason, they are poor in spirit. Our spirit is in need, and we recognize it. Religion is almost always about people taking certain actions or performing certain rituals, doing things in a prescribed way to satisfy God or to gain favor with God in some way. The Hebrew law was replete with things that people were to do or refrain from doing. And it was a guide for living, but it was, a, it was misunderstood as religion. And people felt oppressed by it because they expected it to deliver in ways only God can through grace received by faith. Jesus' incarnation was good news because he offered another way, himself. He told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Growing up, I attended a church where it said over the, like in an arch over the pulpit, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but by me. And it, I, it always struck me then, and, and it strikes me now that there's such simplicity in that. Jesus offered us in, intimacy with himself and therefore with God. Those who are not poor in spirit feel that basically they're in control. You know, and why not? We're raised in a culture where we're supposed to be self-sufficient, we're supposed to be in charge, we're told to follow our dreams, that you can do anything. We think of ourselves as good in some kind of undefined way. We wanna say, I'm a good person. Jesus refuted that notion when he told us rather flatly, no one is good but God himself. The poor in spirit would never presume to call themselves good. So the Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus' Beatitudes are set forth, and it was doubtless one of countless sermons that Jesus preached. In chapter six of Luke's Gospel, Luke writes about Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. It gets a lot less publicity, the Sermon on the Plain. You may see the Sermon on the Beatitudes in like needlepoint in people's houses. They're the beautiful attitudes, as, as Matt would put it. The Sermon on the Plain, I've never seen that in needlepoint in a household. This is what Jesus said. Well, Luke writes, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, 
for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude, exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. In the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus follows that with several woes, W-O-E-S. Um, and we don't get those in the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the woes is, woe to those who are rich, for they've received their consolation. Now, most scholars would agree that Jesus almost certainly preached variations of the same sermon to different audiences and, and might have tweaked them depending on who he was talking to. The Sermon on the Plain is preached to a large number of disciples. And unlike the Sermon on the Mount, it seems to focus on the economically poor, the hungry, the sorrowful, not necessarily on a spirit level, but on a felt need level. There it is not blessed are the poor in spirit, but blessed are the poor. What do we make of that? How are the poor blessed? Would we ever go up to a poor person and, said, and say, cheer up. <laughs> You're blessed. It probably wouldn't go well. A number of years back, I went with a group from this church on a short-term mission trip to Guatemala. And there are a number of people in the room today who were on that trip. And we were sent to a mountainous region where people were really, really poor, desperately poor. And the living conditions were, were terrible. The houses had dirt floors from what I remember. There was very little sanitation. There was no indoor plumbing. It was, it was shocking. Um, people had serious health problems. We saw physical deformities. And yet there was an incredible, almost palpable openness to the gospel. It was easy to tell people about Jesus there. They were thirsty for the good news of the gospel. It was so different from our area here, the Farmington Valley in Simsbury. Here, talking about faith is a lot trickier. People are guarded. Even if there's a flicker of interest, People are suspicious. They, they want to know, what, what are you going to ask of them? What do they have to do? How much time is it going to take? How much money is it going to cost? What about other faiths? Deep down, the comfortable worry that they have something to lose if they go all in following Jesus. And we all struggle with that, don't we? To varying degrees. We all cherish our time and our money and our careers. And none of that is inherently bad. Those are all good things. But they can hold us back. The poor are blessed because they have little to lose. They have less power to resist crime and oppression. 
They have less political clout. Even if a person in a, in a really poor community is, is gifted with physical attractiveness, they're gonna experience that very differently than someone growing up in Simsbury with physical attractiveness. There are gonna be risks, there's gonna be a vulnerability. The poor are blessed because the gospel doesn't have to penetrate layers of comfort and cynicism and self-sufficiency. The poor economically are more likely to be the poor in spirit. In Luke chapter four, right at the start, towards the start of Jesus's ministry, he returns to his hometown of Nazareth and he gets up in the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah. And the first thing he says is, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the, to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right from the start of his ministry, Jesus made, his, made it clear that he would be proclaiming good news to the poor. They would be a primary focus. And they should be the primary focus of Christians on an individual level and a church level. The past two Christmas seasons, I've had the wonderful experience of being part of an old-timey radio play of Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. I don't know if any of you saw A Christmas Carol in some form this season. I hope so. Um, there are lots of versions, and people always have their favorite version. There are people who really love the Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, I know someone in my household who's very partial to the uh, Mr. Magoo version. Um, there, there are lots and lots of versions, but it's just a wonderful experience for me in a fairly traditional rendering of, of the story to be reminded about what's going on, what, why Dickens wrote it. Um, in the version we did, there are four voice actors who do various of the voices in A Christmas Carol, except for the guy who does Scrooge. He's pretty much Scrooge the whole time. Um, but one of the voices I get to do, or got to do, and hopefully will again next year, is Jacob Marley. Now, if you know the story, Jacob Marley is the deceased business partner of Scrooge. And he appears to Scrooge, he's a ghost, he appears to Scrooge to sort of try to explain Scrooge's problem as a human being and tells him that three spirits will visit him that evening. And Marley is a tortured spirit and he is forced to walk the earth finding no rest and no peace and he explains to Scrooge that it's because of how he lived his life. 
in, in fact, at the outset, um, Scrooge doesn't even believe that he's looking at Marley. And finally, Marley says, man of the worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? And Scrooge is a man of the worldly mind. And it's, it's hard in, in our culture not to have a worldly mind to some degree. And he tells Scrooge that no space of regret can make amends for one life's opportunity misused. And Scrooge doesn't get it. And he says, but you were always a good man of business, Jacob. And Marley replies, and I'm gonna do Marley for you. Fair warning, he's loud. And he's very overwrought. I was, I was told, warn people. So he says, but you were always a good man of business, Jacob. And Marley says, mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Thank you. That's enough, Marley. <laughs> oh, thank you. No spontaneous applause at the first service, but thank you for that. Marley understands too late what it means to be blessed to be poor in spirit, to know his spiritual need, to have mercy, to seek justice, to make peace. And in life, he may have thought himself as blessed because he was rich, like Scrooge was rich. But woe to him, as Jesus would say, for he had his consolation. Being Marley is, for me, just a great reminder that mankind is our business. Caring for the poor, the sorrowful, the powerless. It's our business. It's not fun to care for those folks. It may or may not be rewarding. People may never say thanks, or they may, but it's our business. And if we regard ourselves as blessed, that is, knowing our need and living as a needy person who's been found and freed and forgiven and given peace from the Holy Spirit, then that must be our business. Our church has a ministry called Faithful Presence that offers a number of ways where we can live that out in tangible ways in our community. You can get involved with the Simsbury Food Pantry or the Hartford City Mission or Covenant to Care for Children, or Kairos Prison Ministries, or the church army that serves the homeless in Hartford. There are lots of different ways. We have a food packing event coming up in February. I hope everyone here participates in that. There are many ways to serve. I urge you to make it your business. We have, and we will have until Jesus returns, business to do as Christians. So therefore, I wish you a very blessed Christmas season and a very blessed new year ahead. 
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Christmas offers us a chance to once again grasp what it meant that you came and lived as a man on earth, that you would do so knowing that you would suffer, that you came precisely because you had to. You did it for us because you could not stand heaven without us. Help us to grasp that. Help us to know how much we needed that. Help us be poor in spirit to know our need and be blessed. Amen.